From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up. Each of you is going to vote in one of the most important runoff elections of the history of our country. Frankly, forget about runoff. One of the most important elections, really. It's really not runoff. It's elections because uh, it's a biggie. Our country is depending on you. The whole world is watching the people of Georgia tomorrow. That was President Donald Trump in Georgia last night for a last-minute push to turn out Republican voters for Senator Leffler and Purdue. We'll get an update on the unprecedented nail-biter of an election from Georgia Congressman Barry Loudermilk in just a moment. We briefly touched on this topic yesterday, but the House, controlled by Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats, are now, with changing with a change of the rules, banning the use of gender pronouns. So what happens when make-believe rules Congress. Well, we're going to talk about that with Texas Congressman Michael Burgess later here on Washington Watch. And do you remember in June when D.C. was the target of uncontrolled rioters burning and looting? I mean, I sure do. I watched it uh, every night from my office window. Now, President Trump called in the National Guard to restore order as city officials basically fiddled. Well, in fact, D.C. Mayor Mayor Bowser demanded that the National Guard, not the rioters, be removed. Well, now, on the eve of a massive pro-Trump rally, she's deploying the D.C. National Guard to keep order. Really? Jorge Ventura, a reporter at The Daily Caller, joins me on that story. And yesterday, former Kansas Attorney General Phil Klein joined me with a look at how Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg used $350 million in a nonprofit to alter potentially the outcome of the 2020 presidential election. We'll continue that conversation today on Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Parlor, it's at T. Perkins. Let me remind you, tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, pray, vote, stand. Uh, we'll be, you know, obviously praying that the election results are accurately counted from Georgia, but also a lot happening on Capitol Hill tomorrow. So join us, 8 p.m. We'll be joined by former Congresswoman Michelle Bachman. We'll be joined by Congressman Louis Gohmert. We'll be joined um, by Pastor Steve Riggle of Texas and Pastor, um, uh, a number of pastors will actually be joining us, including Jack Hibbs from Calvary Chapel in uh, Chino Hills. So that's at 8 p.m. tonight, Eastern Time, PrayVoteStand.org. All right, once again, Election Day in the Peach State, and there is a lot at stake as voters decide which pair of senators to send to Washington. Two Senate seats are up for grabs, and the outcome will decide the control of the U.S. Senate. Now, over three million citizens voted early, and uh, various reports coming back from Georgia today, some saying light turnout, others heavy turnout. It's hard to say. You can only really assess this when you get the numbers. But here's one point to make. We know for certain if you live in Georgia and you've not yet voted, head to the polls. Your vote matters more than ever. Polls close at 7 p.m., so it's not too late. Head over there right now. Join me now with more on these uh, pivotal races in the state of Georgia. Congressman Barry Loudermilk, he represents the 11th Congressional District of Georgia. Barry, welcome back to the program. Well, thanks, Tony. It's good to be with you as always. Well, I know you have been busy making sure that uh, folks in Georgia turn out uh, for this all-important election because we know so much is at stake. What are you hearing in terms of uh, turnout? 
Well, I, I'm here again. It's, look, it, I'm more busy uh, in in the first few days of this Congress than I've ever been in any other Congress with what's going to happen on the floor tomorrow. So I haven't been getting as many updates as I normally would um, just because our day's been uh, hectic. But uh, just trying to get caught up since I've been back in the office for the last few minutes. You know, it's kind of hit or miss. And there's there's some counties that we're hearing is low turnout. Um, and then other parts of the same county is very high turnout. And it, like Cobb County, it depends on what part of the county right. is low and right. which is high. I've also heard that in some of the conservative areas, they're having stronger turnout on Election Day than we had in the general election. That yeah. is the important thing. I mean, the, the, the most important aspect of this is for people, evangelicals, for Christians, to please Go to the poll and vote. You've got till 7 o'clock in Georgia to get to the poll and vote. This I can't emphasize how critical this election is right now. Right now, this election is more critical than the general election was on November the 3rd. Yes, because we know for certain that the outcome of this election will determine the control of the United States Senate. And, and what does that mean, Barry, uh, when we talk about control of the United States Senate given what we're looking at potentially at the end of this month? Well, if you look at the potentiality of uh, the Biden administration uh, being in the White House, Nancy Pelosi was able to maintain a majority, even though it's a slim majority in the House. The Senate is our only backstop. Uh, Republican-controlled Senate is the only thing that will be stopping a full-blown socialist progressive agenda that would could fundamentally change this nation. And the reason I say that is some people look and say, well, the worst case is if both senators lose today in Georgia, then it's a 50-50 Senate. Well, the, but the difference is in the Constitution, the vice president of the United States breaks that tie. Right. And in, in the scenario we just laid out would be Kamala Harris. Now, right. keep in mind, of all the senators in the Senate, she has the most liberal, progressive, and socialist voting record. She is to the left of Bernie Sanders. Uh, mm-hmm. All right. And so if you don't think that they're going to be adamantly pushing a socialist agenda, even look at the House. Even with the slim majority that Nancy Pelosi has, she put on the floor yesterday a changing the rules that suppresses the voice of Republicans, taking away our last shot to debate a bill and uh, to amend it on the floor. And then she takes she she puts in the the rules that you can no longer use gender terms like mother and father. So we can't refer to founding fathers anymore. Are we not allowed to uh, refer to Mother's Day? And then the pastor that closed the house in prayer, used the term a man and a woman. Okay, if, and, and this doesn't tell you the direction they're going to go. You know, it's time to wake up because we saw this type of agenda playing out in California where strip clubs were allowed to open, but churches were forced to stay closed because of COVID. Folks, this is what's going to be nationwide. That's why it is so important that we get out and vote and maintain, even if it's just these two seats, the Senate in itself can stop the madness in the next two years. Yeah. Um, I mean, 
there there are some things that will be very, very close even with these two seats because that doesn't give us very much of a margin, and Mitch McConnell will have to keep all of the Republicans together to make that happen, which is no small feat. But uh, as you point out, with a 50-50 Senate, uh, Kamal Harris will be casting the deciding vote as President uh, Vice President uh, Pence did on a number of occasions over the last four years. I guess the only silver lining to that, and it's not very silver, uh, is the fact that it would keep Harris probably busy because I'm sure that, uh, you know, Nancy Pelosi will be pushing every radical idea that she can um, over into the Senate. Now, I think uh, the the one, I guess, well, I'm I'm not sure how much control Mitch McConnell will end up having if you end up with a 50-50 Senate. So, I, I, I quite frankly don't want to find out. So if you live in Georgia and you haven't voted, you need to head to the polls and vote. I was talking with uh, Ralph Reed earlier, uh, Congressman Loudermilk. Uh, we're working with him in concert uh, with the voter turnout efforts there in Georgia, knocking on doors, making phone calls. And uh, one, one, one data point that is encouraging going into today's uh, election is that early voting, we did see the evangelical uh, vote actually slightly higher than we did in November. So that's that's actually good news. I think uh, your constituents, folks that we speak to, understand the importance of this election. Yeah, that, I mean, that is encouraging. And one thing that hopefully we will see come out of this is an awakening, another great awakening, just to how fragile our liberties really are. I was walking uh, from the Capitol back to my office yesterday, and I decided to step outside, and I looked across the skyline of Washington, D.C., and I started thinking back of when uh, this time of year you would have visitors here, there were families here to see the swearing in, all the Smithsonian's were open throughout the summer, that people were here visiting their Capitol, and then I would see where it is right now and how yeah. liberal this town is is just it, it struck me of how quickly things can change. We have seven busloads of people from my district came up to Washington D.C. today to uh, 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 support, uh, you know, the, the rallies that are going on here in town. And some of them are wearing the iconic "Make America Great" hats again. And uh, they started realizing as some people were making comments to them that, you know, they're not in Georgia anymore. And I told them, I said, no, this is a very, very liberal city. And what they're trying to do is take the values of Washington, D.C., the values of California, and impose them upon every state. They don't like Georgia. They don't like Tennessee, South Carolina, uh, Texas. They don't like the conservative values. And so what they're going to try to do is suppress them. And uh, look, it's it, it, it's scary of what could be coming down the pike, but we still have a fight in us. And But we've got to have the Christian community stand up and be willing to stand for our liberties. Uh, now, Congressman Lauderbach, I'm going to be joined by one of your colleagues, uh, Michael Burgess, in just a moment. We're going to talk about some of the rules changes. But you said you've been busy here in the last couple of days since coming back on Sunday. And there is a very slim margin of control that the Democrats have, but yet, They've been able to keep those Democrats together with something, as you pointed out, this rule change on gender, where you can no longer use she, he, mother, father, brother, sister. I mean, this is with all of the stuff this nation is facing. I mean, this is literally this is asinine 
that this is where the focus of our leaders is placed? Well, all I want for them to do, Tony, is follow the science. We're always being told we should follow the science. Well, science has shown there's two genders. There's male and female. Okay? Let's stick with science here. And look, this is their agenda. This is what they're trying to to impose upon all of us. And you, you want to talk about rules. One of the rules that Nancy Pelosi has had here that if you have tested positive for COVID, you cannot come to Washington, D.C. I missed some votes back just before Christmas because I, I contracted COVID. Fortunately, my symptoms are mild, but they had me on a mandatory quarantine where I could not come back and make votes. She had that going on. We had members of the Republican Party who had tested positive and were not able to be here to get sworn in and vote in the race for the speaker. At the last minute, she suspended the rules to allow Democrats to come in and vote for her, but never allowed the Republicans to come in. This is the type of things that they do because power is more important to them than upholding your constitutional rights. And is there any recourse to that behavior? Is there any recourse? There is. It's to come out and vote people who uphold the Constitution and they live by their oath of office. I mean, look, this is America. You're going to get what you vote for. And James Garfield said that, that the, that if if Congress is reckless, ignorant and corrupt, it's because the people accept recklessness, ignorance and corruption. Oh, so true. Barry Loudermilk, thanks so much for uh, for joining us. Uh, we'll talk to you again real soon. All right. Thanks a lot. We appreciate all you do. Thank you. Congressman Barry Loudermilk of uh, Georgia. All right, coming up next, we're going to continue our conversation on the rules. Michael Burgess, who's actually a member of the Rules Committee, joins us to talk about some of the consequences. What if the congressmen that they have since refuse to play by these make-believe rules? We'll talk about it next. Don't go away. Hey, Matt. Hey, Hannah. What's going on? Why so gloomy? Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it. Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do? Well, I was actually hoping I'd finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it. Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out. When did they start? I I would be so far behind. Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading. Nice. Where can I find this? Go to frc.org slash Bible, and you can get started. Where's that again? frc.org slash Bible. Got it. Checking it out now. In a recent poll... It was revealed that only 6% of Americans hold a biblical worldview. This research also indicated that Christianity's teachings on abortion, marriage, and homosexuality are not only misunderstood, but seen as dangerous and subversive. In response to this trend, Family Research Council has released a new set of resources in our Biblical Worldview series. In addition to our full publications, which cover the topics of Christian political engagement, abortion, religious liberty, and human sexuality, FRC now offers helpful summaries of each publication in this series, as well as accompanying prayer guides to help you and your family pray through these important issues. And finally, our popular biblical principles for political engagement is now available in Spanish. 
All these resources are free and available at frc.org worldview. Again, that's frc.org worldview. Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain, and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host, the website, TonyPerkins.com. Reminding you tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, Pray, Vote, Stand. Tune in, 8 p.m. Eastern, PrayVoteStand.org. All right, we were talking about this. We uh, touched on it with Congressman Loudermilk, the adoption of new rules. Now, each Congress, this is the 117th Congress, they adopt rules, but uh, this one goes pretty far. They, they are moving forward with these new gender-neutral house rules. Terms like mother and father will now be considered non-inclusive uh, as the House of Representatives pursues this uh, you know, postmodern language. These new rules have already targeted uh, you know, members uh, additionally for uh, posting information that's clare, declared uh, false or uh, doctored. Now, they don't know that if it is, but if they will be... Uh, referred to the as an it'll be referred to as an ethics violation if they do. Now, um, Congressman Loudermilk, Loudermilk made reference to a rule change that really hampers the ability of members of Congress to amend legislation. Because when a, a party controls, they control what hap- comes out of the committees because they have the majority in the committees. So the House is the House floor is often the only place that you can amend legislation. Well, that's been changed. In fact, here's a clip from uh, the House Minority Leader, Kevin McCarthy, speaking to this issue on the House floor. I see my good friend, the Majority Leader, across the aisle. He and I have switched jobs before. I was the Majority Leader for eight years. Never once, never once was it ever debated that we would deny the minority the right to an amendment on a bill. Never once. I know the Majority Leader will stand up later and say, well, this has been changed time and again. Only by Democrats. Only by Democrats. Uh, folks, you got to realize what's happening here. This is the MO of the left. It is not, it's no longer to debate. I've watched this now. I've, I've, I've actually been here almost 18 years. And I've watched this process to where it used to be, you know, you'd have liberals and you'd have conservatives and they would debate. And you know what? You you saw that on cable news. You would see these debates take place on all of the issues. They would disagree. They would have different ideologies, different philosophies, but they would debate. 
I, I did that when I was in office in the legislature in Louisiana. We would have debates over issues. We'd be passionate about it, but it wasn't personal. That's not the case anymore. That's where the new left comes in. It, it's not about reaching consensus. It is about destroying people. And that's what we see happening, silencing and destroying. You see, um, you know, I just got a note just here as I was sitting here. Uh, one of the attorneys that's involved with the uh, been involved with the, the campaign, the Trump campaign, that's been looking into the alleged irregularities. Um, law firm lets her go because they were getting pressure from the left. We see this effort to silence by cutting off debate with a change of the rules. No longer can the motion to recommit, which is what this rule change was about, uh, they're no longer going to be able to amend legislation. So basically, the minority is silenced. Now, they have a very, very thin majority. Probably, I think it's the the thinnest majority in decades uh, with just a handful of votes that Nancy Pelosi has to, to run the House. I'm very optimistic that in two years, given what uh, she is prone to do and the Democrats are prone to do, hopefully, that we'll see a change of leadership in the House of Representatives. But they're going to do as much damage as they can in the process. I want to go to this issue of the uh, – we're supposed to have Congressman Michael Burgess, but I think he got hung up. Um, if he calls in, we'll get him on the line. But this pronoun issue. This make-believe. Here's another, com- here's another comment from uh, Kevin McCarthy on the floor. Oh, I think we've got, uh, we've got Congressman Burgess on the line now. Congressman, welcome to uh, the program. Yeah, hey, hey, Tony, how are you? Hey, good, good. glad you're able to, to join us. Just talking about some of these rule changes, talking about, uh, I had a clip from uh, Congressman McCarthy talking about how uh, trying to silence the minority, keeping them from amending legislation. But I want to focus for just a moment. Um, this ban on the use of personal pronouns, of uh, gender, new, requiring gender-neutral language, what's this all about? Well, you know, again, it'd be a good question to ask the Speaker of the House because she got confused by her own prohibition or, or requirement for gender-neutral language when she started to refer to the freshman class but then realized that, well, she was using a prohibited term, and uh, it, it really was almost comical toward the uh, the end of the uh, – or getting ready for the swearing-in. Look, there, there's a lot of very serious problems facing our country right now. Uh, this is probably not high on the list of most Americans to be where we need to put our focus. I would say not. Uh, you know, we're dealing with a, a pandemic, a, a worldwide pandemic, and we're worried about pronouns. I mean, l- let me ask you this question. What is the penalty to members of Congress if they violate this? Well, you know, that's a good question, and I don't know the answer to that. And I, I did wonder about it when the speaker kind of stumbled over her own words the other night was uh, uh, what was she worried about running afoul of? Uh, are, are, are there going to be a fine, a period of, uh, of, of, of being held incommunicado? I don't really know the answer to that. 
I'm just wondering, for, I mean, this is foolishness. It's foolishness. And, and I just think it, it, we, we shouldn't even have, quite frankly, if I were there, I would ignore it. And I'm just wondering if the Republicans say, you know what, we've got bigger things to deal with. We're not even going to abide by this asinine rule. And I think that's the I think that's the correct answer and the correct approach. Uh, and, and and Tony, you're, you're you're right. There's some very serious problems that we have to face and deal with, and the American public has certainly suffered long and hard because of this pandemic. We should be putting our efforts towards getting that solved. Yeah. Absolutely. Congressman, sorry we're out of time. We're going to get you back on uh, again. As always, great to talk with you, and uh, thanks so much for uh, for joining us today. Yes, sir. Anytime. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, Congressman Michael Burgess of uh, Texas. I mean, th- this, is the, this is the kind of stuff they focus on. I mean, it, it's, it's crazy. All right. When we come back, more craziness from the mayor of D.C. who kicked the National Guard out of the city back when the city was actually burning from the riots, but now posting National Guard in the city because Trump supporters are coming to town. We're going to talk with uh, Jorge Ventura next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. The history of religious persecution in China is extensive and many are not aware of the current oppression of religious groups taking place there. China restricts religious practice and oppresses religious minorities on a sweeping scale. This religious persecution targets those of every faith. Christians, Muslims, Tibetan Buddhists, and Falun Gong practitioners are all victims of the Chinese Communist Party's efforts to suppress any set beliefs that might compete with the party's ideology. This campaign against religion has had and continues to have devastating consequences for those who simply wish to live according to their conscience. Family Research Council's recently updated publication addresses China's consistent abuses of human rights and explains why they cannot be treated like any other country. Learn more about this issue by visiting frc.org slash China. Oh, man. What's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today. Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day's show. How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah? Yep, you can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed, so you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow, I'd definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org slash app and download, or search Stand Firm in the App Store. Okay, that's Stand Firm. Yep, Stand Firm. How do you know all this? Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story. Huh? Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on parlor, it's at T. Perkins. All right, yesterday, the, uh, the mayor of D.C., who says she's soon to be uh, the mayor of the 51st state, 
Mayor Muriel Bowser. Uh, in fact, let me go back. Back in June, um, there were Utah National Guard guardsmen that were here. Oh, I shouldn't say men, guardsmen. That would be running afoul of Nancy Pelosi. But they were here because of the riots. And basically, they kicked them out of the hotel. And uh, Senator Mike Lee tweeted, just heard Mayor Bowser is kicking Utah National Guard out of D.C. hotels tomorrow. More than 1,200 troops from 10 states are being evicted. This is unacceptable. Here was uh, Mayor Bowser's response. This is June 5th, 2020, on Twitter. Senator, until they are recalled home, which I have formally requested from the president, your troops are in D.C. hotels. However, D.C. residents cannot pay their hotel bills. Um, So yesterday she holds a press conference saying that she is uh, calling on the National Guard and deploying them, actually, in the city because of the folks that are coming into D.C. in support of Donald Trump. So what what gives? The city was burning, rioting, looting, and she didn't want the National Guard here. But now, just because Trump supporters are coming to town, she wants the National Guard. Joining us now to talk about this, reporter for the Daily Caller, Jose uh, Jorge Ventura. Jorge, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you so much for having me, sir. All right, so what what gives here? Why why we didn't want the National Guard in June when the city was aflame, but now we want them? Yeah, it honestly makes absolutely no sense, double standard, and it's just, you know, once again, hypocrisy from politicians in Washington. You know, I was on the ground over the summer, and, you know, we filmed buildings getting burned and looted, uh, multiple businesses here in D.C., not only that, we've seen journalists and just folks getting assaulted on the streets on basically almost a nightly basis. It just became kind of the norm on Black Lives Matter Plaza, which is, for folks who are not familiar, is the street right in front of Lafayette Park. And, you know, we've seen this for all summer. We've even seen the Black Lives Matter Plaza occupied for 60 days straight, meaning folks were doing civil unrest. Not only that, they were also, you know, sleeping on the streets, having tents set up. And we didn't see the urgency or action from the mayor to protect citizens or you just set up any type of boundaries or even want to arrest these folks. So now now that we're uh, – now that it's basically the Trump supporters – Trump supporters are not having rallies this week. Uh, we're kind of kind of seeing an opposite approach. Well, well, now, wait a minute. Yeah. Um, Jorge, just a second now. Because you're saying she never called for an end of that. Let me Let me just play a clip from yesterday's press conference and what she had to say. And I want to ask you if you heard the same words from her mouth back in June. We will not allow people to incite violence, uh, intimidate our residents, or cause destruction in our city. Now, that was yesterday's press conference when she was talking about deploying the National Guard in advance of these uh, pro-Trump rallies. So, so, so did you hear similar words back in June? I mean, nothing close. And I know, uh, you know, a bunch of small business owners in Washington, D.C. would have really appreciated that. Yeah, I, I, I don't get it. Um, I watched, as you just described, I watched it from the window of my office um, f- four nights in a row where they were running through the streets, breaking windows, uh, being chased by the police, helicopters flying over the city. Um, I I don't know what would, uh, I would think, Jorge, I would think that would meet the definition of violence. Yeah, absolutely. And and not only that, uh, but we're also even seeing a different approach with, 
with just how uh, the businesses are going to be operating. You know, she called, a, you know, for this week, she called a close into indoor dining. Some hotels are not are going to be closed for this week to not even have uh, Trump supporters basically, uh, you know, stay in them. So not only are we talking about the law enforcement area, but it's also business uh, side. She's also trying to, you know, play a role in that. And, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of folks here on the ground feel like it's, it's really unfair and that they're being targeted, being, you know, basically marginalized by the mayor of the city. So are you saying that the mayor is leaning on businesses to close uh, during this week? Yeah, she called for restaurants to have basically no indoor dining, outdoor dining. So multiple businesses are not even open this week. And uh, some hotels actually closed down completely this week uh, due to the influx of Trump supporters coming in for, for rallying, uh, whether that's pressure from you know management from the hotels or, or, or Mayor Bowser. That's, we'll, we'll still wait to that be confirmed. But um, yeah, it's very unusual. We're also seeing a ban to firearms. So uh, for folks, if, if, you're, if you're coming in with firearms around the First Amendment areas, you will be arrested. We, we're actually already seeing a couple of videos float on Twitter from, from today. So, uh, you know, we'll see what, what the rest of the week unfolds. Um, but it's been, uh, yeah, just hypocrisy on every level, just to keep it as simple as that. Wow. Wow. Amazing. Uh, Jorge, thanks so much for uh, for joining us. And uh, we'll check back with you after uh, after this week's events to see if uh, there was, in fact, a double standard uh, employed by law enforcement and city officials here. Jorge Ventura with uh, Daily Caller. We can't tolerate that. I mean, you got to call it out. For, for what it is. It is as duplicity. It's this uh, hypocrisy, a double standard. I mean, you, th- there was silence when there was rioting in the streets of D.C. And and when you look at they've had there have been a couple of, of uh, rallies here in which Trump supporters have been attacked. Um, and, and there's no call to end that violence. It, I, I, I just this kind of stuff from liberal politicians just cannot be tolerated. It really can't. All right, when we come back, Phil Klein uh, joins us. We're going to continue our conversation from yesterday on how Mark Zuckerberg and $350 million in a nonprofit may have altered the election. Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day every day. Listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins to get honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world. Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday on over 800 radio stations across the country. Or listen to the show when it works for you by visiting TonyPerkins.com. On the show, you'll hear from guests like Ben Carson, Senator Josh Hawley, Representative Vicki Hartzler, Molly Hemingway, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Dana Lash, Sissy Graham Lynch, Pastor John MacArthur, Eric Metaxas, Albert Moeller, and more. Tony is joined by leading political figures, pastors, and policy and culture experts who will inspire you to be engaged and informed on the important issues facing America. For a Christian perspective on the news of the day, tune in to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins at TonyPerkins.com. Ever since the Supreme Court handed down its infamous Roe v. Wade decision in 1973 that legalized abortion nationwide, a national debate has raged over whether the government should fund abortion. In 1976, Congress banned taxpayer funding of abortion and Medicaid by passing the Hyde Amendment. Several states have followed suit, passing their own restrictions on abortion funding. However, 
because government funding is a complex system of joint federal and state programs, completely banning taxpayer funding for abortions and abortion businesses like Planned Parenthood is challenging. There is still much work to be done to free the American taxpayer from funding the horrific practice of abortion. Family Research Council's new publication clearly explains the Hyde Amendment and why we need to keep it in order to save taxpayers from being forced to fund abortion. Access this important information by visiting frc.org slash Hyde. What's on your daily or weekly reading list? Are you looking for honest and informative commentary from fellow believers on the current issues facing our culture? Family Research Council has just the thing. Check out FRC's blog at frcblog.com. The content on our blog is written by our policy experts as well as outside contributors. On our blog, you can read about a wide variety of topics, including religious liberty, life, marriage, family, sexuality, public policy, and the culture. Read up on some of our latest titles like Four Disturbing Trends in Religious Freedom Worldwide, Legitimizing Looting Jeopardizes Liberty for All, The Media Still Doesn't Get It, Conservatives Tend to Vote Conservative, and more. At Family Research Council, our mission is to advance faith, family, and freedom in the culture by helping you live out your faith and to stand for truth. Our blog is here to help you do that. Stay informed and get the resources you need at frcblog.com. I'm Tony Perkins. This is Washington Watch, the website, TonyPerkins.com. During the break, uh, just we were discussing, you know, the, the last two topics, the rule changes and uh, this ban on the use of uh, gender pronouns. Talk about the craziness here in D.C. with the, the mayor who, you know, says she now she's the mayor of the soon-to-be 51st state. Um you know, it, it, it will drive you crazy thinking about some of this stuff, but it, it should drive us to pray is what we were talking about. Pray for the nation, but right now be praying for Georgia because that election will determine on whether or not they have control. And I say they um, because I can't use personal pronouns. Uh, that's a broader pronoun. I can't use gender pronouns, I should say, because uh, I would say she. Um, Nancy Pelosi would have control of the House and influence what happens in the Senate if the Democrats control the Senate and Chuck Schumer is, uh, you know, her cohort over there. This kind of stuff would be throughout the federal government. And and it's going to be a battle anyway to stop it, to contain it. But if you're in Georgia and you haven't voted, go and vote. The polls close at 7 p.m. And the rest of you pray. Pray that the people in Georgia do the right thing. Pray that the votes are accurately counted and reported. And pray that the American people come to their senses. Uh, For those that vote for, I'm going to be saying, vote vote for people who want to advance a socialist agenda in America. And by the way, we'll be doing that tonight at 8 p.m. PrayVoteStand.org. Tune in, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. All right, yesterday we uh, we, we were talking about the... Looking back at the irregularities and the questions surrounding this election. Now, we're preparing for, you know, what's to come with the Biden administration. But I, I want to underscore this because some people have said, you know, when do you move on? Well, I, I think we, we we move on 
when we've addressed the questions that remain from this election. Because if we don't address them, we're not going we're going to be facing the same challenges two years from now, four years from now. Now, I I speak to this. I've mentioned this before. Back in 1996, when I was in office and I was managing a Senate campaign in my home state, we had voter fraud. We, We tried to challenge it. Senate was the final arbiter. They didn't have the stomach for the fight. But as a member of the legislature, we worked. We went back. The two years following that election, we were able to change our election laws and clean up our state. That's what we're doing here. We've got to look at what happened, how did this occur, and what do we need to do to fix it. And one of the areas that I have seen that I think is probably one of the most significant is what our guest yesterday was talking about, Phil Klein. He's the director of the Amistad Project of the nonpartisan Thomas More Society, former attorney general for the state of Kansas. And this is about a group that is uh, called the Center for Tech and Civic Life. And they gave grants to more than 2,500 election jurisdictions. It was a private-public partnership that, well, it appears to have crossed the line. If not, it certainly should be for future elections. Joining me now to continue our conversation is uh, Phil Klein. Phil, thanks so much for joining us again today. You bet, Tony. Thank you. And you are so right. We can't move on until we understand what occurred and prevent it from ever happening. And and, and so let's start. And I just want to very quickly recap, and then I'm going to get into some new territory. But this group, uh, funded by Mark Zuckerberg, it was a nonprofit that um, in the past had very little money, they received over $350 million from Zuckerberg, and they gave out over 2,500 grants to election offices to facilitate this election. Now, this is, is, has this ever happened before? No, no, not at all. And, in fact, in, in all, in total, Zuckerberg gave $419 million to various nonprofits joined by money from Google, the Skoll Foundation, the Arabella Fund, a lot of the left funding organizations. It went well over half a billion. And and the federal government in March of 2020, Tony, passed a law called the CARES Act. That was our um, COVID relief that first passed. Right, And right. they provided $400 million to run the election during the pandemic. And Mark Zuckerberg alone exceeded that. And in some cases, these grants actually eclipsed the operating budgets of these uh, government agencies. Oh, absolutely. And they didn't need the fund. Um, They actually had funds remaining from what the federal government provided. So CTCL, so Zuckerberg gives this money to the Center for Tech and Civic Life. And they start administering those grants consistent with the playbook written by David Plouffe. Obama's former campaign manager, who was working for Zuckerberg in March of 2020 when he published a book entitled The Citizen's Guide to Defeating Donald Trump. And on page 81 of that book, he writes about the block-by-block street fight that needs to occur in the urban core to turn out the vote. And so what Zuckerberg's money did is CTCL, which is run by Tiana Epps, um, who is also a former Obama fellow, 
provided these monies to Democrat officials within the cities. Now, what's, what's important to recognize is that the federal law, the Help America Vote Act, requires states, and this is wise, to treat every voter equally. So does the Equal Protection Clause of the United States Constitution. And so they require funding to be somewhat on an equal level, giving everybody an equal opportunity to vote, because we witnessed back at the turn of the 20th century in the Deep South the effort of government to suppress the black vote and to increase the white vote. And, of course, that can't happen in America on any basis. But what we saw this election was the Democratic Party using the same tactic with different demographics. They targeted Democrat strongholds to turn out the vote with government okay, action. G- give, give, a, give us examples of that. So we, you know, because that's sure. one of the things that the, the left is saying, well, you don't have, you're just making these allegations. You're not, uh, you're not providing any evidence. So let our listeners hear okay. exactly the, the, the type of activity that took place. Let's go to, to Philadelphia and Delaware County, Pennsylvania. Delaware County is a suburb, but primarily Democrat stronghold. And, of course, Philadelphia is overwhelmingly Democratic. They received early money and millions of dollars from the Zuckerberg-funded charity. And in the grant, and we obtained this pursuant to court order because they're not providing any of this information. In the grant, mm-hmm. they dictate the number of polling places that Philadelphia is going to have. They say you're going to increase polling locations from 190 to 800. And Philadelphia responds and says, we can do that, and we believe that's going to increase vote, voter turnout during the pandemic, by the way, by 100 or 25 percent to 33 percent. Now, if you take Philadelphia historical voting trends, that means another 140,000 votes for Biden in a state that Trump won by 80,000 votes in 2016. So they had 800 locations for people to vote. Plus, in Delaware County, they had the Zuckerberg drop boxes, which were fraught with fraud because they didn't maintain chain of custody. It reached the chain of custody of the ballot. But they had enough drop boxes that one was placed every four square miles. Plus, they had mobile pickup ballot units. Now, this is government doing this. And they Mm -hmm. had inducement. They gave away gifts for people to show up and vote. And so you could walk out and stroll down the street and vote in Delaware County, Pennsylvania, or you could wait for somebody to pick up your ballot, or you can go vote at one of several hundred locations and get a free umbrella and some food and things. In Trump country, in the 59 counties that Trump won, the Democrat governor consolidated in-person polling places, making it less numerous than before, and there was one drop box for every 1,159 square miles. So if you lived out in Republican strongholds, you had to go on a weekend vacation and find Waldo to vote. And in Philadelphia, it was almost impossible not to vote. Now, let me let me add to this. I was, uh, you know, I've been reading about this and, and, and this comes from NPR. Okay, so certainly not a conservative news outlet, but they were doing a story. Uh, they did a story to their credit. Um, of course, they slanted the direction they wanted. They did a story on the Center for Tech and Civic Life and the grants that they gave. Uh, in Pennsylvania, Chester County, and I'm quoting from, from this, uh, this piece, 
Chester County is one of several large suburban counties that ring Philadelphia. Once Republican strongholds that have shifted in Democrats' favor in recent years. Pennsylvania was pivotal to Joe Biden's victory over President Trump, and his win in the state was fueled in part by his success in Chester County. He won it by 17 percentage points, nearly double Hillary Clinton's margin four years earlier. The nonprofit gave Chester County $2.5 million for the election, which is more than the county's 2020 budget for voting services, end quote. It's, yes. It's right there. And Chester County, Chester County was also a, 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 a just a gold mine of what's called the undervote. And you know this, Tony, from your, your elections, um, that Hillary Clinton had a significant undervote than Biden, I mean, than uh, Obama. Obama greatly outperformed Hillary Clinton in Chester County. So they saw the opportunity to go there and reclaim those Obama voters for um, Biden. And that's what they did. You saw, if, if you took the Center for Tech and Civic Life game plan in April, May, and uh, June and July, before they got late in the election and they got some criticism and they started sprinkling, on, sprinkling small monies to Republican areas, it was the game plan written by David Plouffe. And it was a very, very targeted. In fact, they hired agents, for example, to go into Louisiana and contact 13 of the parishes and say, you meet our demographics. Come receive money from us. We'll give you money to draft grant agreements. They went into Wisconsin and to Racine and Madison and Green Bay and Milwaukee and said, look, we want you to get this money. So we're going to help build a plan. And that plan was contrary to state law and contrary to federal law. So at every place that Zuckerberg money touched in the urban core, you saw these irregularities. They consolidated counting centers. Now, they said, you know, typically, Tony, when you're, when you're talking about counting the vote, handling the, the ballots and curing ballots and counting the ballots, you're talking about a fairly small facility where everybody can see what's going on. And the law requires bipartisan presence. Instead, they consolidated the county centers, and that accomplished two things. Now, they claimed it was because of COVID, but they created crowds. <laughs> you don't bring a bunch of people to one location because of COVID. And they consolidated the county centers. That allowed the flow of hundreds of thousands of ballots to one location. It enabled the late-night ballot drops, and it also allowed... The, them to claim they were technically complying with the law that required a Republican to be present at the place of the county. But in Wayne County, Detroit, they put them in the cheap seats in a room that is the size of two football fields, and you couldn't see what was happening. They did that in every one of these cities. It's it's real interesting. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I just I want to be perfectly clear here when we use terminology, because I think one of the criticisms that uh, I've heard is, you know, we talk about voter fraud. Um, What we're talking about here, where people are they're legally casting a ballot under a system that's been manipulated. That's not a fraudulent vote. And so the issue here is, did the officials adhere to the law? It wasn't the people that were casting the votes. It was the those that were overseeing the elections. Yes, and they violated the law, and admittedly so. 
in all right. of these states. Okay, and, we're we're going to run out of we're going to run out of time here because this is uh, I asked okay. this question at the last moment yesterday. How do we fix this? How is this fixed? Well, first of all, America's got to stand up and say, look, the best prophylactic measure in the United States is transparency. And so there's reason there are laws that require both parties to be present at all times when you're handling, managing ballots. We need to honor that. Secondly, we need to go to paper. We need to go to paper, and we need what's called risk-limiting audits and, and, and eliminate uh, uh, far in advance uh, without excuse absentee balloting. And what about and what about the issue of this private money going in to fund well, public elections? It should never happen. You can't have elections brought to you by Coca-Cola, the Koch brothers, the NRA, or Mark Zuckerberg. Is that the role of the federal government to address that issue? I think it's the role of everybody. I, I believe it is contrary to law now. I, I do believe that. But it is certain, certainly state legislatures and the federal government. But we've, we've not seen judges willing to take this, these cases up. Well, the cases still exist. We couldn't get TROs. Right. And so our cases, the challenge is, is, is that we weren't able to get to trial to, to have discovery and obtain evidence prior to the election being done. So we still have cases on file. We plan to try them, and we plan to initiate discovery. And we're going to get well, to the bottom of this. Good. Uh, as I said, this is about the future, uh, even more so than about the past. Uh, we cannot let this go because if, if, if we do, we'll never have confidence in another election in America. Phil Klein, thanks so much for joining us, and I appreciate the work you're doing. Thank you, sir. Folks, out of time. Thanks for joining us. Joining us again tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, prayvotestand.org. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, prepared, and taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at one 866 372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.